Success breeds success. When there are more of women founders around, more will come through, and this is a leadership and management experience which will support more of them. So, in fact, in that case, my plea always with the male colleagues is that involve and sponsor more women founders, but also look in different places when you are looking to support them as an advisory or mentoring or NXDs, non-exec director for these things, because sometimes that different diverse viewpoint is needed. Poonam Malik is a passionate advocate for investing in and supporting women-founded companies, a message she is able to spread both as the head of investments at the University of Strathclyde and several other appointments, including a board position at government-owned economic development agency Scottish Enterprise. She joins us to discuss the importance of overcoming unconscious bias in investments, what gives Strathclyde an edge, and why Scotland is big enough to attract international interest. She also talks about her own journey from growing up in a small village in India to becoming a scientist in the UK before moving on to angel investments and eventually landing at Strathclyde. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Poonam Malik in person as well. You're my first in-person guest in years. Poonam, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Theory. Lovely to be here. And thank you. It's a pleasure to meet you face to face. So obviously, after the Zoom world of last two years and at this Global Venture Conference, it's a great opportunity to be here and be here in person. Yeah, it's very nice to have you here in person. And as you say, see you in 3D. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, indeed. My first question is hopefully an easy one. Can you give me a bit of an overview of what you do at Strathclyde, where you fit into the university structure? Thank you. So Strathclyde is a wonderful place, place of useful learning and world-class technological university. The university's culture has been very much steeped into its community, uh, society and with the global outlook to tackle on the real world challenges and which is why business is very much a fiber and the DNA alongside the scholarly knowledge that's generated because that's making it useful. And I had the investments into the university. New strategy Strathclyde Inspire was launched in middle early 2020. As part of that, uh, university has been balancing in its own spin-outs since 2012. But as part of the strategy, it was decided to have an enhanced function. And now with that, the team was formed and it's a three-pillar strategy in terms of, and then we are in the grow phase where we are trying to work with the startups, spin-outs and spin-ins, which is a new category, I'm sure we'll talk about it. And we invest in them, manage our portfolio, manage investor relations and manage the companies to make them and look for successful exit. But being a university and the place of useful learning, the impact is much bigger agenda. So we look for commercial return on investment like any successful organization, but the bigger picture is developing the entrepreneurial community. And that is the focus of the role. As you said, three-prong approach, spin-outs, startups and spin-ins. Why the focus on these three? So in terms of the universities, Scotland has world-class universities and we always are in uh, top five, top 10, top 20, 50 in the world. And locally are very well recognized, very well respected, our world-class research published. Oh, what is the need, as I said, in terms of translating that knowledge from publications, uh, from research inventions into an innovation that is useful and adopted by community and something which is paid for by customers? And that's the journey of commercialization. 
So in that, and as the Kaufman Foundation and World Economic Forum said that in the next two years, in this time of day and age when the economic crisis and uh, COVID, post-COVID, the most new jobs will come from entrepreneurial activity. So in that case, we are basically managing and had sort of focusing on all three aspects of it. So startups are basically the companies or businesses that are started by our students, alumni, who can be a recent alumni or previous alumni who have any association with the university. So that's the startup. We have an accelerator team working with them. And the spin-outs are universities own an intellectual property, which is again translating from that patent or intellectual property into a spin-out company where it can be translated into a product or services. And that's for our academic staff. And both these have been traditionally worked by most organizations. What I'm more excited about is that uh, the university's court and uh, investment committee last year, we worked together and they encouraged us to look at more in terms of our have a relook at what the investment function uh, may mean. And what in that we are doing is that our position is that we take a stand as a value-add investor. So we don't like to compete with the private sector, whether it's the angels or the corporate ventures or venture capital. What we are offering in this case is enhancement of companies that are outside the world, whether they could be our as association by previous staff or alumni who are no longer with the university or no previous relationship, but the company may be looking to move into Scotland or Glasgow with inward investment opportunity or looking to work internationally also who are working with our academics where we can provide innovation capabilities, de-risking of their technologies or even product market fit or testing of the research and innovation aspects. So that's where as an academic higher education institution, we have that additional capacity, which the other venture and investors don't. And in that case, that's where we bring that value to the table. But to put a confidence, we dip our hands in the pocket and we put money on the table alongside for working with that. But it's a win-win situation for that. And these are the spin-ins in which they're not prior universities intellectual property, but we work alongside, invest in them grow the innovation and commercialization journey together and uh, basically uh, support the companies in that. What has the uptake been for Spinners? Have you had a lot of customers or investees in that area already? So that's an interesting point you raised there. So since I started, you asked me about my role. So my background has been sort of life sciences, biomedical sciences in the actual research on the other side of the bench. And then uh, working, uh, supporting the startups, both mentoring, advising and strategically working with other organizations on their governance level. I started this uh, role with Strathclyde as part of this wonderful culture of uh, entrepreneurialism. And that starts from the leadership with Professor Jim McDonald as the principal of the organization. He's always been business focused and supporting the entrepreneurship aspect and investment. So in this case, what we have a very positive relationships and visibility and engagement with the industry. So since starting out last year and yet to complete the anniversary, we have done four spin-ins, in which case uh, we basically had relationships and we get approach and we work alongside them. The industry engagement and investment team makes relationships inside with academia, academics who are on the top of their game. They have that expertise, domain expertise or wider industry expertise making links. 
and as a result of them we bring that additional but each time we are working with the new investor group so we enhance our own pipeline of investing opportunities and this is a long term relationship we are looking at we are a patient investor so we don't put any conditions on them and we are always looking to leverage the private investor money in there so filling in the gap which no other pure investor group can do so that's why it's a more of a collaborative relationship on commercial terms and looking for that innovation aspect you managed to touch on a few topics there as well in our answer that I want to talk about more in depth one of them being the support from the executive leadership at the university is that something that you've seen change recently or has there always been a willingness in scottish universities to be pro business and pro investment in companies that's an exciting and interesting point of view and question in that case what i would say i've been an academic i've been on the other side so in my early days when you are uh, researching at the bench and you are an academic you look to the industry and work with them what are world class research which is published in sort of leading international journals our reputation in there is there but what traditionally has been happening is that the commercialization aspect was lacking we are not up there compared to some of the european or us universities because they tend to have more co-housing of business and startups and industry on the same campus us academics sometimes have a 10 month contract so they two months they engage with the industry traditionally what has been happening in the uk overall great britain ecosystem is that the academic aspect of it publication grants student supervision uh, blue sky research has been excellent what was slightly not as much promoted or looked at was tackling the real world challenges making product because that was always the job of a business and industry aspect some universities were doing well in it and i would say strathclyde has always been technological university has always had excellent relationship with the industry and an excellent reputation and visibility and which is why it's a leadership culture but it wasn't part of it because it's not the structure of the academic progression route into professorship or progression from lecture to senior lecture it wasn't a special component of it so as a result recently since the research excellence framework exercise in 2014 and before that when it started that impact aspect and a more industrial strategy from government came out that made every academic organization having a relook at it in terms of how they are engaging what is their impact on the society not just the purely academic aspect but bigger societal economic and longer term impact which could be ecological environmental social and as a result of that now because it's a requirement to get funding as part of the ref exercise which has been happening now too so it's a 33% component it has become integrated into that certain organization like strathclyde always have this professor of practice or inviting more business focused real world people but otherwise if they run parallel that's when the challenge can come that it is not as deeply inbuilt but in the last 5 6 years i think most organizations are realizing the value of tackling questions and working for developing solutions and academics do what they do best supporting company and then there are business people who run business better and there are organizations which are innovation organization or you can call them tech transfer offices in its previous iteration they help that commercialization journey does that mean the concept of commercialization has become less of a dirty word amongst academics because now they have to think about impact even before they start the research 
That's the take I would say bringing my previous academic hat or working with in the strategic partnership role that I have worked now I've worked with top three universities in Scotland, two universities in England as well, and I've worked with universities in India, academic organization. So it's just mostly academic world was considered very pure, very noble, and you are not interested in the financial gains aspect of it. You do research funds or research grants purely to advance the knowledge, scholarly knowledge. Whereas business world was always seen, and it's a change, which was always seen more for profit, more for shareholders. So the change is there in both sides. Business is also realizing the importance of stakeholders, which are more than purely out of their shareholders, academic institutions, public, government bodies, and other stakeholders. Similarly, academia is realizing that knowledge is not useful until and unless it's applied and it's benefiting somebody. So which is why there is this drive to work together to find, because today we're standing, I mean, whatever is happening in the world, whether it's the COVID or it's the Ukraine-Russia crisis or economic financial crisis, all that requires innovative thinking, innovative products, and even the biggest climate change. So for that, the solutions need to come from somewhere and the knowledge, deep tech, deep knowledge is sitting in the university. So that's why they need to come together. So commercialization, those who are advanced enough to realize, for them, it's not a dirty word. Those who are more altruistic, it was thought that why should we do it? So which is why it's a question of people like me who can understand both sides, the culture, the language and interfacing them and the wonderful people in the organizations of innovation, organizations of Strathclyde and other organizations that we have in Scotland and other universities who work with academics and businesses to say this is what is the journey. And then they basically interface the two sides and that's when the beautiful innovation happens, companies that grow with that support and think the product gets scaled up. As you say, you're sitting at the interface, you're scientists. You're also a woman. I'm saying the obvious here. Um, <laughs> you have a minority background. In the UK, at least, you count as a minority background. How do we get more people like yourselves on the asset allocation side of this? How do we get more women into venture funding? You have touched on a point close to my heart, but a sore topic for a lot of people in a lot of field. So it's the intersectionality aspect of these things you said. So women in investment, scientists, female, academic, and working in all of these sectors are predominantly male-dominated. So the percentage of women professors in the universities or percentage of women CEO or C-suite executive level or the MD level or in the boardrooms. And at the other end, in terms of ethnic minority, investment for women-founded company itself is 2.6% overall globally. I mean, considering we are giving 97.3% or 7% to only purely male-dominated companies or startups that are there. And uh, similarly, the FTSE 100 or FTSE 500 companies board of directors 10 years ago, they were hardly, you could count on fingers how many companies had female board of directors. And there has been drive and there have been changes. And again, I think it was counted and said that it will take us 220 years to even reach parity in that situation. Um, who has that kind of a time? And it's an issue that we've been talking for so long. So I think it is a journey. But the challenge here is that the, we have been talking about it and a lot of people think we have crossed that bridge, we have reached, but the dial hasn't shifted very much and that's the worrying thing. So when we are talking about now is the time to take concrete steps. In that, the reason women founders don't get enough funding is that they 
allocators, as I'm talking about asset allocators, investors, whether they are angel investor, whether they are venture capitalists or CVCs, there aren't women in there as well. So it used to be 4% in Scotland angel, despite it is being one of the world's big angel investment community. Seem similarly among we have here CVC, you can see what is the proportion in the room in the global corporate venturing. Very homogenous. So you can see the same, it's the reality. So until and unless more women come into the investment leadership roles, investment allocation roles, where they are the influence who can make decisions and understand the models and the way women startup founders propose a case, the risk manage their ambition and femtech area where predominantly it's considered women health technology. So I don't understand this particular area, so I won't fund it which is why you need more women. And if you talk about the intersectionality of ethnic minority, bring it into the mix, the number is even 0.6% of funding. So where would you take? Even if you go by the last census, the ethnic minority mix is 4%. So why are we not even representing that? And that is the challenge that whether it's the inherent unconscious bias, which all of us have it in some form or the other, or whether it's the educational awareness aspect. But I think that solution to that is we've talked about problems too long. It has become old news now. The new news should be that what are we doing to deliver the outcomes. So I think in that case, it's the building pipeline. And it's from starting from early stage, starting from the women and girls in Scotland, there is a new national strategy for economic transformation as a result of Mark Logan's STER report, which is Scotland's ecosystem technical review. In that case, uh, the computing science or technological subject should be given priority in the schools. They should be recognized as a subject. A lot of funding has been given from government. Uh, 50 million is being earmarked for women. Anna Stewart has started doing a review similarly for the state of women. And I work with the organizations for last five to six years as Investing Women Angels, which is trying to work, and I'm a member of it, which is trying to support female founders as well as increasing the angel investors community. So I think a lot of initiatives happening, organizations, their national bodies working towards it. At university level, our own team and the Strathclyde University, Strathclyde Inspire, is trying to work at the department level with professors, with the postdoctoral researchers and students to say, how can we encourage more women who are in early stage research to take on the commercial project if they are interested? Why is it that always men who take the research and want to commercialize it. So how can we increase that? Because the pipeline numbers, they need to come through there and then only they can challenge. So there are few points in there, basically. It's just to summarize, you have to work through the pipeline, but what comes in front of you, then you need to work with them to increase basically by supporting the funding and wrapping around support of advisory network, which they may not have naturally access to because they've not been going around in the same circles. I have discussions sometimes with people where I ask them what they do to increase diversity numbers. And occasionally you have people who say they don't, they're aware of the problem. They obviously don't discriminate against women. And that's still sometimes where it finishes, which, I mean, that's the whole discussion about like, you know, it's not enough to not be a racist. You have to make an active choice and you have to kind of try and push the numbers up. Because if you leave the status quo as it is, as you say, the pipeline will just stay full of the same kind of person that comes it's, through. Absolutely. It's a numbers game. So basically, if more are coming through of similar kind, they will get picked up. But there are awareness and education raising on both sides. So those of us who are in the decision making, 
capacity on the other side of the table as you say as allocators either as a startup founders who choose them or investing in them or supporting everybody need to be aware of their own unconscious bias because people like to work with people like themselves and that's a human nature but we need to be judging it on the basis of merit and we also need to have understand that's why you need uh, role models to showcase even to women founders startup company owners and researchers to think that yes i can also aspire to do that it's not unthinkable and when they are explaining somebody on the other side of the table endorsing that challenge problem or business model or that risk approach that women founders tend to take once they get money there isn't any reason or there isn't any research to support that there is any sort of difference between how these startups can grow it is the question that they never make through that door and then they never get that level of funding to grow and which is what is needed to do and once it's like success breeds success when there are more of women founders around more will come through and this is a leadership and management experience which will support more of them so in fact in that case my plea always with the male colleagues is that involve and sponsor women founders but also look in different places when you are looking for people to support them as an advisory or mentoring or nxds non exec director for these things that because sometimes that different diverse viewpoint is needed yeah i think you're right i've spoken to female founded businesses where when they finally got investment and i know that there is hundreds of reasons why a vc might not invest in a company but when they finally got investment it was always a woman sitting across them at the table even if it wasn't as you say femtech i was finding it a bit weird when old white men start talking about femtech but i guess also women's healthcare is an issue for everyone so it's not wrong but Yeah there seems to be something in women understanding other women better perhaps or not having that unconscious bias that makes them go I don't want to invest in this even if it is a clean tech company or something that doesn't really have to do anything with gender Yeah I think inherently there are um, multiple approaches and multiple re- reasons for it behind every one of that has I mean research has proven umpteen times that each of us have unconscious bias in ourselves we make decisions or impressions about people in first 6 or 30 seconds about somebody entering the room the solution here is to be aware of your own inherent everyone may have differently and also the affinity to work with people like us rather than people different whereas the research has also shown that the diverse viewpoint in any company or in any organizations room or board or team enhances performance and manages risk better whether it's a lived experience whether it's a different career experience or a subject matter view or a cultural experience you may not have but from the funding side of the things also if it's the sector thing then people as you say if there aren't very many in technology science engineering background women coming in then the pipeline is small and as a result one or two that come through they may not shine whereas if there is and then there are things that maybe women ask for less money so they don't come across as ambitious or they are probably tend to be slightly softer approach in how they are pitching that can be perceived wrongly as a lack of confidence so if you are the allocator you need to be aware of that or somebody need to be on the table to counter that when the decisions are making because it's a question of flipping in 2 seconds about say right yes for that or no for that in the short pitching in the longer term it's just working with them to ask more questions and there are obviously the other situation that happens is that 
uh, women tend to get asked more prohibitory questions in terms of probing because there is doubt about their capabilities because they've not been many of people haven't seen and if they have seen they have not noticed it whereas men tend to get asked sort of positive questions in terms of how will they deal with the growth how will they manage whereas women how would you manage risk and both sides who's making the decision and who's actually answering them need to be aware of how to tackle the questions and how to come across and shine a light and that's where i think we all have a role to play i should ask perhaps an obvious question how did you end up in this career how did you become an investor interesting point i do love my role and i do enjoy what i do thoroughly as you can see i can probably go on <laughs> for hours about it so i always loved science and science subjects so it was at that time didn't think about it just went through it chose the career then i was interested in research and i wanted to do a research which was important so health was a natural affinity and viruses at th- that time were basically a fascinating thing because you can't see them but they are so deadly and kaposi sarcoma associated herpes virus was just discovered in 1994 with the molecular biology techniques of fascination and i got the opportunity to work on this at in the university of glasgow so the question then from there with the research molecule was always drug target and it was conserved across the family of humans and animals so it wasn't always a drug target from industrial point of view and what i realized during that time that our research was grant funded by medical research council but we had not as much engagement with the industry and i was thought it was the industry pharma that's making why are we when we go to us the conferences there'll always be industrial engagement and industry funded research industry funded studentship we in the uk were not as closely associated so that started to think about it then i realized that if you do one it takes 20 years to take a molecule to the drug which is normal trajectory but i started shifting more and more by working with other people where you can do and then it's that impact aspect of it by working with other people you can make bigger change more change and that took me out of the academia to work first into research management and strategic partnerships with academic health science networks nhs and then slowly working directly with the startups or spin outs which are making the change and when you are working with the founders you realize everything at the bottom of it technology one aspect is technology and the other critical is funding if you need to provide right funding at the right time to take that technology and make that commercialization successful and slowly again as you say that expertise knowledge which is domain expertise but a broader business advisory and guidance and i met the basically it was more of an angel investor journey that started so moved towards that started providing that and then more and more working with the investor syndicate and at the same time i started on the board of our national economic development agency scottish enterprise where we are having a broader investment into people into places into startup into innovation and programs and that you can influence as a result a bigger strategic point of view and since then it has been always a uh, passion to see that if you provide the right investment as you can say you can take the example of children nourishing and growing or you can take the example of a seed saying it becomes a big strong tree and it's the wonderful range of founders that you meet and they are so passionate about it and being a founder co-founder myself i suppose that's the entrepreneurial aspect so long answer to your short question is that there's no single path there are multiple path whichever way you take but it's the working and realizing various stages and the models and how we manage and try to choose the winning companies and support them is there anything 
any nugget of wisdom or any advice you would give to someone who is starting out in this world? So there are, I would say, three aspects to it. From the academic side, yes, research is useful when it is applied commercially. So if you are in that, keep your commercialization. And if a product can solve a real world challenge, it's a wonderful thing or a service. So don't be afraid or shy of exploring that aspect. Be open to that. That can it be a business idea rather than just a research paper. And that's a choice that we all make as early career researchers at the business level. And from the organization's point of view, obviously, everything centers on the people. People are the core of what we do. So in the universities, innovation departments, today is seller's market. It's very difficult to resource and get the right support of people. But your business people, if you are working with these startups who are cutting edge innovation, they need to be top of their game. So they need to be having relationships in the right place with the right values and organizational values are built from the top. So getting that support. So I think your organizational support is a critical aspect of it. And we are lucky to have it that the Strathclyde culture is fantastic and supporting businesses, working with academics and merging the two, marrying the two. And those who are outside, who are starting the startup journey from business aspect of a startup or a founder, I would say I support both men and women so there's no difference in there but in terms of women where there is less support I would say seek help out don't be restrictive with the social media nowadays this help is much easier and if you ask openly if people are busy they might still divert you and direct you to somebody else and just don't think nothing is unachievable because unattainable If someone like me, who was born in a small village in India, with only school up to eighth class, could move from there, study science, and got a Commonwealth fellowship, came out to UK to do PhD, and then made use of the best available system here with the best support and people around it, I think relationships are very key. How we respect and treat people, but give them the flexibility to mold themselves. So that is what I would say, look out for those opportunities, but respect and value people around you. And if you give good, good comes back to you. I think that's very sage advice. I hadn't quite realized that your school career was that short initially as well. So that's, that's very inspirational. Like As someone who entered school when he was five or six and came out the other end when he was 23 or 24, or however old I was, I just... In my mind, I often think of people just being in education until they're an adult and then they come out. That is amazing. We are almost out of time. We actually got to run to our panel in a minute. But is there anything else that you wanted to mention or any point that you wanted to stress? I would say this is the wonderful time to be an entrepreneur. And there is a lot of focus on supporting the right entrepreneurs and scaling. One challenge I see is sometimes missing There are three critical aspects I said is about people, right kind of a people, both talent within the organizations, both at startup or big business organizations, but also the management and leadership aspect. So the more companies that we see exit, the more liquidity floats into the ecosystem, which is what the Scottish ecosystem would be good to have. And the more management who's expert, who's been there, who's done that, or who's seen the companies grow and scale and exit, the more of that is there that that support can be there. So I think we need to have more venture capitals, more CVCs 
looking at wonderful innovation and startups that are coming there. Now, how we do that, as I said, even at the GCB, I've always spoke to James and say, look at Scotland PLC as a single entity where we have wonderful universities of uh, Strathclyde, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Aberdeen. Together, there is so much innovation coming out. There is enough research strength to attract the big investors. And if they start to looking at that pipeline of startup support to scale up, I think that would be really good for the local economy, for people and globally, because these challenges and the times that we live in, we have to make use of that and we have to be united in terms of attracting but offering. And we just need to turn the wonderful people, innovative ideas into these global businesses. Kunal, thank you so much for chatting to me today. It's been a huge pleasure. And I look forward to the panels. I'll be speaking to you more in 10 minutes time. (laughs) But for everyone else, thank you so much for listening to us. Thank you, Thierry. It was a pleasure. Talking Tech Transfer is hosted by me, Thierry Helis. If this is your first time listening, make sure to hit that subscribe button and peruse our archive of more than 50 interviews. This podcast is a production by Global University Venturing, a Morsonia Limited publication. You can find our website at globalventuring.com forward slash university, on Twitter at GUVenturing, and on LinkedIn as Global University Venturing. Our sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production. You can find out more about them at inearproduction.com. If you have any comments or are interested in being a guest on a future episode, feel free to email me at thehelis at globalventuring.com. That's T-H-E-L-E-S at globalventuring.com. We'd also really love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts, and if you haven't yet, do recommend this podcast to your friends and colleagues, or maybe even share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. Until next time, goodbye. Do 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 do